0: Welcome to Mother Food Season 2, conversations that nourish the modern mother. I'm your host, Alyssa Timoshkina, food writer, author, curator, chef and a mother, passionate about maternal empowerment through food and conversation. In this season, we meet women who forged inspiring careers in food, nutrition and wellness, while also embracing lives as mothers. We talk about what it means to be a woman, a mother and a creative. We share intimate moments of our complex journey with all the intricacies of our relationships to our bodies, our partners and our children. And of course, there's a lot of talking about the food. I passionately believe that when women's voices come together to share stories, some magical transformation takes place. So let's talk. My guest today is Claire Thompson. She is a cookbook author, chef, and a food journalist, and also a mother of three girls. To me, Claire is pretty much the embodiment of the very concept of mother food, as her cooking and food writing is so much focused on the family kitchen. She's an author of five cookbooks, all of which have the home kitchen as their main location. So I highly recommend her work to all the parents listening to this podcast, because her books really do have the answers to so many questions we often face in our kitchens. Claire is a really passionate chef and a food writer, and as you will hear, Her knowledge of and her delight in cooking is so intoxicating. I just loved talking to her and then coming back to this conversation while editing the podcast. as it gave me a very much needed boost of confidence, reassurance and inspiration to get me out of my culinary rut, which I have been finding myself in a bit too often this autumn. I loved learning how Claire's professional life developed and flowed into her personal life almost seamlessly. I really have been changing my mindset around what being a working mother means to me. And I guess I have been looking for examples in other women through this podcast. As I'm still new to the idea of embracing home as my creative space and of not having to clearly define work time and family time. So Claire's example was so inspiring and brought so many smiles to my face as we were talking so claire truly knows what she's talking about when it comes to family cooking and i'm just so thrilled to be able to share this episode with you because it is full of wonderful tips and ideas which are very practical and very relatable and if i were to encourage you to take away one thing from this conversation it would be to remember to really experience the joy and the playfulness around cooking, feeding, and eating. And me personally, I just loved the idea that Claire put forward that it's so important not to take food and yourself in the act of feeding too seriously. Sometimes I really am guilty of that. So for me, it was an amazing and a very welcomed reminder that a good meal is a lot more simpler than the ambitious cook inside my hands thinks it is hi claire welcome to mother food really lovely to have you on the show i am really looking forward to seeing your new book i think as many people are i'm sure because um as we are facing very different times these days and this year has been very challenging for many of us but also i feel it's been the time when the role of home has been so essential and has been kind of redefined and reconsidered for so many people Mm. and your new book is obviously addressing home as you know the heart of everything that we do really and the the place where all the magic happens and um this is something that's very relevant for me as well because being at home this year has really helped me i guess redefine my own ideas of motherhood and womanhood and kind of see home as a place of empowerment more than a place yes. of confinement for women how you know how historically and traditionally women you know, this notorious phrase a woman's places in the kitchen (laughs) has been around for so long, but I think it's actually amazing to reclaim it and say, well, it is, but on our own terms, in a way. Oh,
1: perfectly put, yeah.
0: You are the perfect person to talk about this too because your work is so inspiring and um, I'm sure for anyone who knows your Instagram, there's so many beautiful videos of you cooking with your girls Yeah
1: we've had such fun doing that through lockdown it started as a sort of like thing to do as part of the school day because we were making our lunch together and so I started filming it and it was really fun actually I thought that was quite empowering and going back to what you say about the kitchen being that space you know I didn't feel I felt different about the space at home I didn't feel the drudgery of it I felt like it was quite an energetic sort of exciting space at home Mm. because you know we don't have a massive house we have a normal you know, so the kids are in the kitchen with me. We did our homework together at the table. I would do some work in the morning, and then we would just cook.
0: That's amazing, and it really comes through that kind of lightness and playfulness of what you girls do in the kitchen. It's it's been yeah, it's yeah. been really inspiring, and I'm sure encouraging for so many to embrace the kitchen in a different way because we sometimes do see it as a chore,
1: and um, so many women I think struggle. We also see it. everyone has these beautiful lives with these gorgeous Mm. like 100% our kitchens you know not that so I really think that's important to show people that my ovens held together with a rubber band because I think that's (laughs) funny and that means that it's accessible and people don't it's not too stylized you know absolutely and again actually for me it's been
0: a transformation as well that I started doing drawn more to kind of authentic real accounts. I mean, Mm. I love all the stylized, you know, sometimes it's nice to look at this gorgeous kitchen with marble tops and, you know, it just gets to a point where you think, well, okay, this is pretty, but there's no substance or there's no story behind it.
1: So I love the rubber band and the, Yeah, (laughs) that's, that's real. (laughs) And if anyone, if I can cook on something that rubbish, then people who have, you know, you know, there's only way it's up, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's definitely there's no. Um,
0: yeah, it's very inclusive. There's no kind of sense of intimidation that people think. Oh, I don't have all this fancy, beautiful equipment. No.
1: Perhaps I
0: won't be able to do the same. Um, what was the kitchen that you grew up in? What was that space like?
1: Oh gosh. Well, I was born in Zimbabwe, and then I I, I lived in Africa, uh, South Africa, and 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 Zimbabwe and Botswana until I was ten. And then i moved to london so i had lots of different homes as a kid and um yeah i mean my mom was a single mother you know so we cooked together and that's probably why i when i learned to cook really because she would work and so i would cook twice a week three times a week and that's how it started really so by sort of 14 or 15 i was cooking half the week my mom was cooking half the week until she met someone and then we moved um in with my stepdad so you've been exposed to the kitchen and your role in the kitchen as someone
0: who's contributing rather than just observing quite yes, early on absolutely and is it something that you are inspiring your girls to do as well were they in hundred, in it
1: yes. straight away Oh, God. But you know what it's like having children? You know, they love it from an early age. There's a tactileness to kitchen and the cooking. And so from a little age, you know, Dot or Grace or Ivy would, you know, make bread or whatever. And that's just elemental. That's that's very, you know, easy to do, isn't it? But Grace is 13 now and, and I really want her to be able to cook well, you know. so, And I love her excitement at food. You know, I love the fact that she finds it really exciting to know what we're eating and cooking and where they come from in the world and gosh that's so important you know I, I really want them to know about spices or to use a tortilla press or pasta machine or there's an excitement and a joy you know and this year in particular we're not probably going on holiday as much as we might have you know so using the cookery books as a kind of like portal to travel and stuff I think really good so I often say to them like choose a book from you know there's a (laughs) load of them up there oh Uh, lovely (laughs) and like just let's have a you know think about where you want to eat in the world and then we can talk about you know geography the sort of you know the climate that you know it's metaphorical travel
0: yeah oh I love that I I completely share that feeling I love the idea that you can travel with your plate and then it's amazing how a meal can spark so many different conversations about the place of the food or, you know, in terms of its national kind of geographic region or sustainability yeah. and all sorts of things. It's really
1: and the fact that, you know, my husband and I, before we had kids, we've traveled so much in our lives and I love cooking dishes and then telling them about where we've mm. eaten this. And kids find that really lovely to know the sort of narrative of the food they're eating and I find that really exciting. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess storytelling is a big part of it, and yeah. <laughs> memories. And and speaking of memories, what are the um, kind of most vibrant food memories that you have? Either of the dishes that you you like to cook yourself when you were younger, or something that your mum would make for you.
1: Oh my god! well I was a little kid, we just e- used to eat barbecue all the time, you know. Uh, and we'd be That's camping right. a lot. under the skies. You know, we'd go a lot camping. So we'd have a lot of yeah braais and barbecues in south africa and so that as a little kid and then at home older when we moved to england um you know my mum was a single mum so we didn't have a lot of money so we we used to be a lot of like egg dishes <laughs> but so my brother wasn't who didn't live with us and so we'd have lots of sort of omelets and stuff you know because it's quick to make and so i think my view on food is quite broad in that i've travelled a lot i've lived abroad my mum taught me to cook so my dishes of my childhood are, you know i'm a classic 1980s kid as well so um you know those things like spaghetti bolognese and stuff that kind of stuff you know but you know and there's nothing wrong with those dishes they're lovely and and wonderful for all the different reasons and much light but um i think food is something that we could never stop learning about and never you know as a chef which is what i am essentially uh, you could never say, that's it, I'm done learning. I don't need to learn any more dishes because I know everything I need to know because that would be short-sighted. So the thing about food is that you can't ever stop learning about what you want to eat or what you want to cook. You know, there's always someone you meet on holiday or in the street or in the greengrocers who says, I've got this brilliant way with parsnips or quinces or whatever. And that's what's fascinating about food.
0: Mm, beautiful. Yeah, I love that. That as you evolve, your you know experiences of food continue to change. And Yeah. And I love it that you can pick up all these influences from literally <laughs> as close as a greengrocer on your corner or as far as some yeah. kind of exotic travels. That's amazing. Or yeah.
1: well, like the school cake sale, you know, before COVID, my daughter's school, there'd be like a cake sale to raise money for things. And all the different mums from all the different nationalities would bring all these different cakes. And I just think that's what's great about food. Like, you know, essentially, we don't need to all eat the same things because we live in this country. It's brilliant to have this kind of like, diversity of food and that's what's exciting
0: Mm, absolutely that actually reminded me of um when i was in school um here um i went to a boarding school when i was in my mid-teens and we used to have a um gosh forgot the name of it it was like a international day or something like that where all the girls would um you know from different countries would get together and cook uh, their national dishes. And then instead of our traditional, like typical school dinner would actually have like a buffet with different countries representing themselves through food, which was so exciting because there were so many different countries and coming from Russia, I never been exposed to food from Nigeria or China or Latin America. So it's been like mind blowing and it's been, yeah, such an incredible way to learn new things and introduce myself to different cultures. Was there a moment when you thought okay I'm gonna work in food professionally or was it kind of a gradual movement? Um,
1: No so I I, um, studied journalism at university but all through university I cooked in kitchens to earn extra money Um, and I sort of you started out in bars working like as a waitress and then I was like always look at the chefs and be like god they're having so much more fun in the kitchen so then I moved into being in the kitchen and sort of not working at the front anymore front of house And I went traveling after university to Australia via lots of Southeast Asia and just cooked in Australia in Sydney for a while and then came back and thought well you know I always had an inkling I'd want to go into food writing from journalism I always used to say like you know when I first started cooking the Observer Food Monthly came out was the first one and I remember thinking oh my god I want want this to be my job I want to write about food but I'm really aware of the fact that I want to get some you know, proper um, industry sort of experience under my belt. So I sort of, in my brain, dedicated my my twenties to being in restaurants, uh, and then you know I had children when I was thirty, and I, we had a restaurant ourselves then. So I carried on cooking in our restaurant, and now I do the odd things. So I've kind of like been chefing and doing cooking things as a kind of professional for like twenty-one years now. So, but always with the view to writing because I've always wanted to do to do this. So. I feel like I sort of legitimized my wanting to be a food writer by working in professional kitchens. you know i 've got the burns to prove it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the
0: scars and the burns is definitely the the sign yeah. that you've earned your
1: name <laughs> I like the fact that i can I can sit in my you know table and write about something and I love words and I love writing about food, but I also like the fact that I can put some chef whites on and. Go and cook for 80 people an hour and a half because I quite like the excitement the buzz of that I've got three kids now so I don't really want to do that every evening but uh in my 20s I did and I couldn't do that now but like you know I, I quite like the the fact that I still sometimes can it's exciting it's always exciting service you know when when the bell goes and you're in it's like a ballet sometimes you know you're cooking so fast and the orders are coming in so quickly you kind of forget to think you just do what you need to do to get through it you know I quite like
0: that yeah it's in a weird way i mean it's almost you think it's almost the opposite of meditation but in a way that it switches your thinking brain off that you're not like in your head you're so in the moment and you're so focused on you know your senses and your tactile yeah. experiences it's yeah the way you just described it now it made me a bit nostalgic about those <laughs> fun really? days in the kitchen i'm sure they'll be back uh, they'll be yeah, back for me they are cut. at the moment they're on on pause <laughs>
1: Yeah, I do the odd thing and I quite like it, but I couldn't do it like I used. I used to do it like, the, I, I used to love the the kind of machismo of a kitchen as well, which is a funny thing to say because I'm a woman, you know, and mm. lots of the restaurants I've worked in have been women-led restaurants, mm. but I quite like that kind of like energy and sort of drive and I'm quite competitive, I think, so I quite like that mm. uh, environment in a, in a w- busy kitchen. Yeah. And I used to be that person that would be like, try and work as many doubles in a row, like keep up with the boys, you know. Now I'm like, gosh. <laughs> but like, I think because I've done that I can do it still, but I, I wouldn't want to
0: do it every night. So you have the most amazing experience of being in the industry for 20 years and being in it from kind of different angles. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting to kind of see how the industry has changed in that time, especially in relation to women and mothers
1: yes massively you know when i worked in london in my 20s it was like a given that you just did double 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 and they just you know you'd be on your knees at the end of sunday and then you just have this there was lots of drinking culture do you know what i mean like i don't i just don't think that would be like that now i think there'd be a much more sensitivity to that but that said i was really lucky to work in the places that i worked in i had quite quite um brilliant sort of mentors in, in, in the restaurants I worked in. Uh, and so that machismo and sort of sort of male energy, which was sometimes, you know, I had some tricky situations sometimes. Uh, I think that was just of its time. I'm sure it's probably not like that now. And a good exactly. thing too, because the whole restaurant industry needed to change anyway, didn't it? Like we've seen that from COVID. You know, I, I I think there's probably too many restaurants in the world. And I think it's going to be different from here on in. You know, the, there's there's just... We don't need all those there's so many chains and so i think better quality less restaurants maybe (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and make eating out a treat again you know not something that we just feel like you know so that's why essentially we should all be shopping and cooking with more forethought you know like eating out has become this kind of thing that you just do you know like we -hmm. don't because we've got a young family at home but like you know lots of millennial people Mm I think do, don't they really? Yeah. Taking well it's a definitely a big
0: removal from like the kitchen where you cook. It's you know, so many people just order in and go out and
1: Yeah, and there's houses that are being built with don't even have kitchens anymore, you know? Wow. They just have a sink and a microwave.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> just, that's I know. That's just heartbreaking.
1: <laughs> yes, I know. Wow. You think about the history of food and where we've come to now, it seems crying shame to just suddenly the next future bit of food like build houses without kitchens which I just can't I
0: hope it never happens (laughs) yeah yeah where were you in your career when you became a mum for the first time
1: Um, I was chefing in Cornwall we used to run a restaurant in near Land's End and um, I was 27 when I had grace so um yeah, I worked. She was born on the third of March, and I worked till Valentine's night. Uh, I was just couldn't work anymore after Valentine's night. So three weeks before I gave birth. But when I was pregnant with Grace, I couldn't bear the smell of fish, and of course we were cooking by the sea. So every time a check would come on, it'd be like check on fish stew or whatever, or you know grilled mackerel or something, and I just oh, I couldn't. Anyway, so I was there cooking like that. And then from that. Um, I sort of moved into wine writing as well, so I've run a a few wine lists still in Cornwall, the place that we used to work at. So I sort of, for my maternity leave with Grace, I sort of did um, the WSET wine courses. I did an advanced wine course, and so I still work for them, the people in Cornwall, and write the wine list. So I love wine. (laughs) I think wine has the same beauty and history and sort of uh energy that food does you know the people who write about wine i find equally as exciting as the people who write about food i i and all the people i've ever met who write about wine are insanely clever so i think there's something that <laughs> <laughs> i think people who know a lot about wine is a real beauty in their prose and stuff because it encom- it encompasses history and geography and language and I, and I love i love wine i love reading about wine as well mm. yeah, that's quite
0: good mm. and it often unleashes your creativity a bit more <laughs> you know yeah. that inspires a more kind of poetic language or no i i completely agree with you i i love wine and the whole culture around it but yeah. i haven't been able to enjoy it as much maybe for the best actually because <laughs> i used to enjoy wine a bit too much sometimes Yeah,
1: no, same. <laughs> um,
0: so now it's a slightly different a bit a little uh kind of more paste relationship oh yeah
1: sure. i really like all the natural wine stuff that's coming through and stuff i feel like that's quite exciting wine's at quite an exciting time i think yeah. when my kids are grown up i'd like to travel and and you and go through the sort of portal of wine like maybe do some harvests or go and work at a winery i think that would you know, I'm. I'll be fifty when Dot is eighteen, so that's my time to go again. <laughs> it's un, You know, you, you become a parent and you forget that. Well, it's it's extraordinary and amazing, but by gosh, it does deplete your freedom somewhat, doesn't it?
0: Because mm. you
1: can't just up and go, can you? When they start school, I mean, you can. You could homeschool and go travelling around the world, but I just that's not my that's not my skill set. I found that in <laughs> lockdown. The hope is teacher.
0: <laughs> and how was that transition into motherhood for you in terms of your personal experience?
1: None of my friends had babies when I did, so it was it was quite lonely, I would say. Uh, my friends are all just having their first or second babies now and they're my age, so I'm 40, I just turned 41. Most of my best friends have sort of got two kids, three kids under five now. Whereas I'm, I've got a 13 year old, so it was quite lonely. And I, you know, I'd never changed a nappy when Grace was born. I, I didn't, I had never even done that. So I, I was like, wow. And we lived in the middle of nowhere. My husband is a chef, so it was it was quite lonely, yeah. Sort of, I used to go for really long walks on the moor with her in her pram. And there was nowhere to walk to because it was the middle of nowhere. So I just walk until I thought we'd walked enough and then I'd just turn around and walk home. like um Ivy and Dorothy were born in Bristol and it was a much different experience for being the mother to a young child because there were you know you go for coffee with people or there was play groups and stuff there was none of that where we lived in Cornwall I thought it was romantic at first but then I found it quite lonely Mm. that's why we left
0: (laughs) and how did you manage to cope with it or embrace it
1: it's a very steep learning curve isn't it there are those times when you have a baby and you're like you know you just don't know what you're doing do you in the middle of the night they're crying i mean it's that's what gives us superpowers because we we managed to work it out do not we mostly i would say um so <laughs> i embraced it by by just by being a 110% mum to grace so we left there when she was 11 and a half months old and we went travelling with her so we went through through china with her wow. and um, Yeah that was really cool Uh, and we sort of landed in Hong Kong and I'd been really organized with her travel and I'd like little extra baby grows and all these extra things for her but what I didn't anticipate was that she'd be on me when she threw up so she threw up all over me and I landed in Hong Kong and just had vomit all over me and like no spare clothes until we got to the hotel (laughs) so and then we traveled with her we went up into the mountains by Tibet and then down through Chengdu it was brilliant. That's amazing. But we haven't done that with Ivy or Dot. We've done little normal, more normal holidays. Because with Grace, with one, it's, it's more, they're more portable by themselves, aren't they?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, uh, we haven't traveled that much with Rosie. Um, yeah, and to me, even like the little travels that we've done was quite a big achievement. So a whole road trip around China, that
1: <laughs> sounds
0: oh incredible. Gosh, Grace.
1: You know they really revered babies where we were in the mountains you know in a really rural setting so every hotel or restaurant we went into that the chef would come out all the waitresses would come out they'd all want the baby to hold in the middle of the photograph and then the whole restaurant team would be there (laughs) with this little baby grace in the photo oh my god she must be on the walls of kitchens in lots of restaurants because they just hadn't seen us though they were like why are you here what are you doing you know it was brilliant. I love China for food. I love it. I think it's I think Italy and China are my mm. most exciting. Yeah. I've not gone to Russia though, so I don't know.
0: <laughs> and how was Grace eating um when she was little?
1: Oh my god, they were brilliant. Like, well, babies love rice in my experience. But they'd all do, you know, these chefs would do these special egg dishes that were perfectly for babies. You know, they would be like, you know, steamed in the oven, egg dishes. It was brilliant, yeah we had it we had a brilliant time with her we she I carried her in a backpack, and my husband carried his backpack with all our stuff and then we just it was great. I, I feel awesome. like oh I really want to do that again. Wow. I want we went to Kenya last year with the kids, and that was fun and that that was only ten days, but I felt that prickle of like, you know, giving your children the world to look at. It's exciting, isn't it? Mm. We've been on holidays to our like France and Spain and whatever but In Kenya, when we got there at five o'clock in the morning to Nairobi airport and it was baking hot but pitch black, and you could hear the crickets. My girls, you could just see them just thinking, This is not like anything I've done before. And I find Mm. that really exciting.
0: Mm, That's brilliant. I'm very interested in um, kind of the early stages of um, weaning for children and how do you introduce um, your children to food what was your experience like especially as you can talk from an experience of having three and yeah. how did that work for, for, so for them in different Grace,
1: ways? Because I was the first time mum I was really conscious of like low salt and stuff and very conscious of that but then with Dot I just wasn't because I do not rely on processed food or package, much packaged goods for them and stuff so I just cooked exactly what we eat and they just had mini portions of it you know, and so whilst they were really little, and they'd have like lots of eggs and stuff. But as they've got older, we just eat, they eat what I eat. And that's non negotiable. And it's not that I'm some militant mum pressing that home. I just say to them like i'm a chef your dad is a chef i'm not making horrible food because that would be quite weird for both of us so what i'm cooking i know is good and you you have to try it and if you really don't like something like grace doesn't like um mushrooms or you know ivy can't bear courgettes but i just think incrementally they'll get there and like if you take the example of courgettes for example like if I grate them and put them squish them over salt and then put them in a frittata with loads of cheese and all that stuff they'll eat it and they'll now they're old enough to reason with them and say oh you can see the courgettes yeah the courgettes are in there I don't need to lie about the courgettes but that is courgette you like that frittata so essentially in six months time you're going to eat courgettes because you just it's just nascent isn't it you learn to eat and you learn to taste so Grace is amazing, she'll eat anything except meat. She doesn't like meat. (laughs) So we had um, like baked um, squash last night, which we baked with bacon on top of it and some butter beans and something. But, you know, Grace ate everything but picked off the bacon. Dot said she didn't like squash. And then I just cut it up for her and said like, this is the best squash you can possibly buy. It's this really lovely Italian version of the squash. And then Dot tried it she was like, it's like ice cream and I'm like, it is like ice cream because it's sweet and creamy and it's got everything. So just in their brain they think they don't want to try it, but you know, they do. I think I think you just have to never give up. You know, I, I think if, if you can get to Grace who eats anything except meat, and you can get to Dot who who loves cold noodles with miso and soy and ginger and and loads of grated cucumber and seeds to sprinkle, I think I think I'm there, I'm winning, yeah. I think you just need to I suppose there's a real tangible excitement about food in our kitchen you know we're both chefs so our food our kitchen is where we all essentially work from and it would be a funny space if it wasn't exciting because we were always cooking something or testing a recipe or so they know the drill really so I think they they just yeah I think they're pretty good.
0: That's amazing I love the argument that you know you are a professional chef so by definition your food cannot be bad <laughs> no it'd be awful awesome if
1: it was i'd be really like oh dear wrong yeah
0: that's wonderful but for those women who might be listening to us um, who are not professional chefs or don't have a professional kind of connection to food what would be your advice to them how can they introduce their children to food that you know, essentially has the same results as you have with your children.
1: I think my advice is is to not get stuck in a rut with cooking, because children, you know, if school dinners is a tortoise anything, it's just that very prosaic food that's served up by rote every single day of the year in school. You're just uh, anaesthetising your taste buds, you know. I think for a woman who isn't a chef and who doesn't have my culinary acumen, I think just to try always to keep introducing new, it can be really basic, you know, new flavors, tastes, whatever, making a soup and serving it with, you know, brown butter or yogurt or just making little incremental changes as you cook through the year, I think makes kids not get in a bogged down in a kind of I only eat this type mentality, you know. That's what school dinners do. There's like beans on toast. There's pizza Tuesday, or you know shepherd's pie Wednesday, or whatever. So if we just indoctrinate our children with the same food every single day of the year, no wonder that they go, oh, "I don't like eating that. I only like this food." You know. So I think if we just try and and just introduce little different tastes along the way, it could be herbs or different cheeses or something. I think just to keep things flavors and taste buds tuned to new stuff is good. Mm, I love that. And where would you suggest um, mothers get
0: inspiration from? You know, if you suddenly feel like, okay, I've been cooking, you know, the same repertoire for a bit too long now, but I don't actually know what else I can cook. Where should they, or could they turn to?
1: I mean, food media, I think, has never been more uh, busy, has it, is it? so? you've got cookery books, you've got food TV, you've got YouTube, Instagram. I think there's just, I think find a person who you identify with what they like to cook and go that way. Really. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think there's lots of resources out there, even, you know, old school BBC good food or whatever, you know, like there's lots of stuff for inspiring people or veg boxes, you know, that can get delivered or recipe kits or, you know, there's, there's so much out there it's almost a bit congested would you say mm. <laughs> <laughs> I would
0: <laughs> yeah do you ever feel that you're out of ideas for cooking
1: do I feel like a out of ideas um, no but then I also think it's really important to not put food on its pedestal and sometimes you can just make a soup you know and you've got some bread that you've made the day before put some cheese in it cheese on taste and nice soup that you've made it doesn't always have to be this food moment you know that we're all really like wow sometimes I think it's really good to just make soup (laughs) and like you don't always have to have this sort of excitement I mean sometimes this is why my book you know I've got this feast section with food that you really want to like go to sleep worrying about and you want these recipes to be perfect and you really write shopping lists for days that's that's really enjoying enjoyable sometimes but sometimes you just need to like get dinner on the table don't you and so that just pairs it back to what seasonal vegetables you want to cook with store cupboard ingredients yeah so i think i think i don't never know what i want to cook but sometimes i just think i'm just going to make something quick and easy or Mm. I do you think cooking with the seasons is obvious because it's more economical and that's the kind of resource that you can just use like a food map can't you squash are in season now then it's sprouts parsnips you know if you just know your way around vegetables i use eat the seasons website quite a bit which is just a really good concise website for like what's in season what's best now fruit veg fish meat and that's yeah kind of how i cook
0: Amazing. And are there any staples in your pantry that you just have, you know, kind of like building blocks and you know if you have ABC there, then you can definitely like whip up a meal in no time.
1: Yes, so lentils, uh, tin tomatoes, miso, noodles, tahini, olive oil always, and then loads of pulses, chickpeas, you know, those kinds of things, beans. Mm. I, I have a, you know, yeah, I think that's a really good framework to cook from then you just, you know, know what you're going to cook. It's easier rather than, I I can't bear shopping, like weekly shopping lists where you have to know what you're going to eat on Thursday when you're ordering it on, I can't, it makes me feel ill. Um, (laughs) I quite like being a bit more fluid. I love that because that's actually exactly how
0: I feel. Um, I've been kind of forcing myself into this uh, traditional or I don't know, what you call it pattern of meal planning and I would like sit sit down with a notebook on a Monday and by Wednesday I'm like (gasps) I'm starting to like hyperventilate, just getting really
1: really claustrophobic.
0: Because I don't
1: know what I'll feel like on Thursday. I might feel completely different, you know. So I can't cook like that, yeah. Exactly. So I love
0: this idea of a flow in the kitchen and I cook exactly the same way that, you know, I have those pretty much the same (laughs) staple ingredients in my pantry and then whatever i feel like on that day or obviously whatever is in season then i just get those ingredients and
1: yeah
0: and go for it um do you encourage your girls to cook kind of initiate dishes or initiate recipes
1: yes definitely so i mean i think if i asked them all what their favorite meal would be they'd all say tacos because they love the the, you know, the bits and pieces. So they love that. And we've got a little tortilla press and Doc can make the tacos. You know, that's cool, isn't it? Because it's just masa harina flour and water and then you make it to the same consistency as Play-Doh and it's that kind of lovely kid activity. So, um, yeah, I think definitely they, they initiate things. They, I think they'd all say that that was their favourite. Ivy always says she likes ravioli, but that's just... <laughs> because <laughs> we often say what they'd like to eat for special occasions or something and Ivy would probably say handmade ravioli which is is quite a grown-up thing to say but um yeah and Grace doesn't really like meat so she would always go vegetarian so um she doesn't really she doesn't mind chicken stock or something in a soup but she'd never eat a big lump of meat and you don't mind that
0: you kind of respect her you
1: yeah I mean we, we meet probably once every 10 days we'll buy something good quality in and then the rest of the time it's veg, pretty much vegetarian yeah just because it's more economical and I find it so much quicker to cook vegetables isn't it so um but then sometimes we'll sort of blow out and have a big you know roast chicken or something like that. It's very
0: interesting I'm I'm a mum girl as well and it's very interesting Perhaps something that I've um, been thinking about because of my own upbringing, but um, you know, kind of socially speaking, women are more prone to a more difficult relationship to food than men, and kind of you know, eating disorders. um, Again, statistically speaking, the numbers are higher for women. Yeah. And I grew up in a culture, but also in my own family, where women always kind of had an issue with food, and it's always you know Mm -hmm. would be a really plentiful lovely meal but then my mom or my grandma would be like oh i ate too much why did i eat this oh i feel fat now you know and so there's always been this very kind of contradicting messages that i absorbed um throughout my childhood which led me to my own kind of difficult relationship to food in my 20s Uh, so now that i have a girl myself um i'm very i mean she's only she's not even two yet but you know since she started eating when she was like five and a half months Um, I've been very cautious of what messages I pass on to her with food, and what kind of um, atmosphere we have around the table and during cooking. How is that for you?
1: Yeah, I had an eating disorder. (laughs) I have three girls, so I'm really aware of it. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't have any scales here at home. I don't want to be that person that, I want my kids to see food as something that is a community-spirited, family event that's not something i don't want to see it as a food that they just fill their face with i want it to be like that's why i really want to put the joy in food and and it be center to our family life yeah i had i have i had that <laughs> so um i i do i do think that i'm really on up with my children I, I i never have any negative rhetoric around food or diet or anything and, and you know the moment i see anything like that happening i'll 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 be i'll be on it <laughs> i just want my girls to see food as something really exciting and like i always say to them you know you can eat a chocolate bar whatever you want as long as you're mostly eating vegetables and and you do sport at school you're fine you know there's nothing you can't eat and that's the way it should be
0: how do you if at all kind of monitor the external messages that they get, whether it's from social media or just adverts on the street or whatever kind of environment around food they can be exposed to in school?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Grace has a phone, but she's not really into social media yet, so that's good. Um, I just think it's you as a parent, isn't it? It's all down to you at the ages they are now. Maybe when they're older teenagers, they'll have different reference points. But for me, I just, I never, you know, we're all very... I find joy in food and I and I really try hard to make sure that comes across and cooking and you know, we we are quite an outdoorsy family. We go we go to the sea quite often and swimming and I just think have a really positive body image with your girls. I think always talk about, you know, how strong we are and I do not want them to ever think about things like that. Yeah.
0: And how did you manage to overcome your own eating disorder and if becoming (laughs) a mother?
1: Yeah, <laughs> so I was at university and I just started cooking. That was when you know that was when it all got a bit better. I cooked in restaurant kitchens and I just saw how great food is and and, and what a, an exciting. I keep using the word portal, portal into other other avenues. It gave you know food is but it's literature, it's travel, it's history. You know I started cooking and then I started. People started saying, oh, you must read so-and-so, you must read these people, Richard Olney or Jane Grigson. And and then I was like, goodness, this is like, this is so exciting. So, And from there, I just, I was like a voracious reader of food. Of That's when Observer Food Monthly came out and I couldn't, I'd be like, oh, this is just too exciting, this world. So I think that's, that's how I, and I saw this sort of, you know, I just... Yes, it's a it's a more positive mind frame, isn't it?
0: Mm, no, absolutely. It was exactly the same for me. Yeah, and has becoming a mother changed your attitude to food in any way, or to even just the kind of broader speaking, just the idea of cooking and feeding?
1: I mean, yeah, but you, you want it. it. There's inherently becomes nurture as well, doesn't it? Like in your twenties, you know, food is great. I used to go and have ridiculously expensive restaurant meals and blow a week's wages and drink this ridiculously you know crazy mad wine and think it was perfectly reasonable then to eat nothing for a few days in a row because I'd spent all my wages on this meal you know the restaurants I'm talking about but now I don't think like that (laughs) so um you know I suppose as nurture I want to feed my children winter's coming I want them to be full of things that make them strong um my daughter my middle daughter has some asthma so um I'm trying to sort of like I in the back of my mind I I start preparing for winter by sort of feeding her up and making lots of good nutritious soups and porridge for breakfast and stuff you know and i think also also with my cooking you know in the back of my mind is school dinners which are appalling so i i, I make them pack lunch so um i'm always trying to think about what to put in their lunches for the week you know they they love soup or dal in a thermos flask with you know some naan or something on the side so i always trying to think about that what i can feed them that they'll eat in their school hall by themselves in the middle of the day i often think about them at that point in the day like oh my goodness so you know we have like nice um like i made a good empanada the other day and they had a slice of that in their lunch and stuff so yeah
0: nurture yes absolutely and i love that thought that you think of them around lunchtime that's <laughs> what they yeah. might be you know where they are and what they're eating that's not so beautiful
1: <laughs> yeah well i think Dottie, yeah, because it's all changed, of course, because of COVID, they don't have lunch in the hall anymore. They all sit at their desks in their classroom, which is just a weird one, isn't it? And so oh. I often think of Dot sitting there eating her lunch. And I wonder, like, you know, because I have to put the thermos lid on quite tight because it's got hot soup or dal or something in it. And then I think, is she going to be able to open it? Is anyone going to be able to help her? Oh. <laughs> like, she manages. She doesn't come home hungry, so I'm sure it's fine. <laughs>
0: Um, and another interesting thing um, for about, well, I feel that another interesting thing is um, about being a mother of s- three girls is um, also the kind of ideas, kind of the value that you create around the idea of motherhood for your girls as well.
1: Because yeah. obviously your
0: elder daughter has seen you nourish, yeah. um, you know, create new life twice, so she's yeah. been, a, you know, a big sister twice and... Um, how did you find that experience of, um, you know, being a mother for the second and the third time, kind of sharing your pregnancy with your girls and sharing that experience of birthing and breastfeeding and all of that?
1: I mean, it's huge, isn't it? With Grace, I remember everything because she was my first with Dot, my third, you know, she just got bundled into a pushchair on the school run for like the first year of her life, you know, poor Dot, like, like. Anyway, she's fine, and I think it impacts their character, their place in the family, definitely. you know, dot is my little comedy child she 's got a brilliant sense of humor, and I think that's because for the first her sort of setting in the family is that she has to sort of make herself known, so I think that's exciting and Grace you know is definitely more anxious of, of my daughters because I think that was me being anxious about her, so I think there's there's that that comes into play, and you know um. I think it's really exciting when little siblings come along. I feel sorry for Dot, that she'll never have that excitement that Grace had of Dot coming along, coming to the scans and stuff, you know, but uh, Dot will essentially always be the baby of the family. And I think that comes with with good payback, too. You know, she does quite like her role, that she's the little one. (laughs) And did you feel that um,
0: becoming a mother for the second and third time makes you more relaxed or and then and then being that kind of more able to enjoy it a bit more kind of more tuned in because you're not worried about i mean
1: i always i i love babies but i do find that naught to three months bit quite difficult i'm not someone who copes with that very well because i find it really like i felt like bristol was this evil dangerous busy place that you know like it was like in a in a city new york you know like it's not it's really (laughs) but i just couldn't go out of the house so whilst it was fine to be I like bed in you know like I, I've become this nesting thing that in, it very intensely um hits me when I have a baby I I can't leave the house I don't I can't go and get a pint of milk from the shop because it's just way too dangerous so whilst I quite like the feeling of like nesting I also find it a little bit claustrophobic by the end of it so when I come out of that feeling and I'm like oh I can go to the <laughs> you know, to the park or something I felt that quite liberating. So. Um, I still had that with Dot as much as I had it with Grace. Just couldn't leave the house. Couldn't do the school run for the first few months. I just, that was just like way too dangerous. (laughs) Like going outdoors, something might happen. You just need to not leave the house, which is an extraordinary feeling, isn't it? It's really intense, like, and my husband would come home from work and be like, have you left the house today? And I'd be like, still not right. (laughs) (laughs) So it didn't change that feeling, no. My husband leaves the house at 7 and gets back at 5, you know, not like that for me. I work from home and that's great. And I've chosen that. I could have put my kids in after school care and I've chosen the path to be the mum that is always at school drop off, always at school pick up. You know, I want that because I I want that. So
0: So how did your career trajectory change as you became a mother? So you were initially working in in your own restaurant and... um, you know working well, then I as a started chef writing
1: really uh, I actually started tweeting um I was in a restaurant I was in duck soup Soho in London with Grace and Ivy and Ivy was a baby like she was two or something and uh and I thought oh I'm going to start feed- like I'm going to start Twitter feed of what I'm feeding my kids because I'm a chef and I'm going to show people what I do because lots of um Grace's is- was at school then and lots of her the mums of her friends were like oh, what do you feed your children, you know? Aren't you bored of fish fingers or whatever? So I started doing this Twitter account and that's how um, Quadrille, Sarah Lavelle got in touch and said, oh, I really like this idea, you know? So I put my book proposal in on the eve of going into hospital to have dot, I had to the cesarean. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know how I managed that. Um, Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, and he wrote back to me, said, uh, Sarah Lavelle texted me in hospital and said, got your book proposal, but chill out, you know, enjoy your baby and get back to me in three months time. So when Dot was 12 weeks old, I met her in a, in a bar with Dot as a tiny baby. I was breastfeeding her and we talked about the book and, and I sort of wrote that and, 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 cooked it on my maternity leave.
0: Well, that's amazing. Tell me yeah. more about that. How did that work?
1: It was great. I don't know how I managed to do that, write a book with a baby. I've got no idea. I think my mum came for a few weekends and I went and shot myself in a bedroom. I was that crazy woman breastfeeding with one arm typing holding a baby typing one a hand. Um, but you know, a book takes a long time, doesn't it? So by the time I finished writing and shooting the book, it was she was I think she's like 15 months in the photographs. So um, that sort of started me on the path. I wrote for the Guardian, I did a sort of cooking with kids online column for them. And I just got more and more stuff really. And so I feel like my career changed because i I started feeling i felt validated by being a professional chef and working in restaurants, but then I felt like I could move on and, and still call myself a chef but move in the in the career of food writing mm. so, um, so yeah i 've written a few books now yeah. <laughs> and like um, I really feel l- very, very lucky that that 's how i how i 've managed to do it i feel i work from home I, like i said i 'm the mum that always at school drop off always at school pick up i don't miss a school assembly do you know what i mean like and i've that's a real gift as a parent for me not it's not for everyone some parents can't wait for you know their jobs and autonomy back but i really like the fact that i'm i'm here for my kids Mm. and you know it's it's pretty it's my work with food is is essentially feeding us all so i feel there's a nice little circle going on there
0: no absolutely and i love that whole again fluidity of how Mm. personal life and motherhood and professional life one there's no clear-cut division and it works beautifully we went
1: to dorset um last weekend and we would do i've got this um camper van cookbook i've got it right and um you know we we were working and i was cooking uh, but essentially the kids were like camping for the weekend it was like super fun you know and they, they were like, oh, mum, I picked them up from school and they were like, oh, mum, you've got such a weird job, you know, they're in their school uniform and like, oh, just, they wanted, someone, one of them was missing a party and I was like, look, you know, it's my job and when we get there, you'll have fun, I promise. And then it was this incredible weather and they were swimming in the sea and, and I was like, well, if that's my job and my kids are here with me swimming in the sea, that's that's okay, isn't it? That's
0: incredible. And how exciting a campervan cookbook. I love that.
1: <laughs> I think because everyone's gonna go camping, aren't they? No one's going anywhere. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your new book. Congratulations
1: on that. It's only oh, recently. Yeah, it's had brilliant reviews so far. So I feel really oh, I feel really excited about this one, yeah. Um so it's massive. It's kind of huge. Um
0: and oh, it is beautiful.
1: It is. um, So the title, uh, we came up with the title last year before anyone knew about the pandemic. So, but now I'm like, oh, what a clever title. (laughs) 2020 is home cooking, isn't it? Um, uh, So it's basically how I cook. So uh, drawing on everything we've talked about so far, really, like seasonality, the store cupboard, the the, uh, the the moments in your life when you've been paid or you've got more money or you've got a feast that you want to cook for christmas or a certain celebration that's pertinent to your family or so i don't think food or cookery can be too didactic or you know it's fluid isn't it so it changes so there's not one type of cooking for for the season of autumn one time we cook loads of different things all through the week and you know, there is definitely Tuesday nights when I just get home and the kids are starving and they just need some quick, like quick dish there and then. And I think this book has that. So it's massive. It's got like 412 recipes wow. in it. I, so I know. Um, but people say, how do you come up with that many recipes? But essentially, if you're just cooking every single day and you're always making something, which is what I do, it's easy, isn't it? There's 365 days in the year. And so that, I did, yeah, <laughs> but it is huge. Yeah, I sort of finished it. I made that classic era of um, essay writing. When I started, I wrote loads for the autumn, for the spring introduction. And then I was like, oh God, I've set the pace, you know, I'm going to have to write the same for summer, autumn. So by the time it came to winter, I was like, Jesus, I've got this massive essay to write and like, so it was funny when I finished it. I was like, oh my God, my next book is going to be like a paper pack. (laughs) Anyway, so it's, it's, I feel people have said really lovely things about it. So fingers crossed. Oh,
0: I'm sure. And I mean, you know, i was going to ask you know if you could recommend a recipe or kind of a general approach uh but i think i would just direct everyone listening to this particular cookbook because it feels like it's the perfect one for parents
1: yeah i just think really really don't want to be pretentious about food you know like we said sometimes you just have to make soup and that's good and soup is good for you and you can you know and sometimes you can you know cook with more money or more time or, or more people in mind you know i think i just want food to be essentially what do i want food to be essentially i want it to be accessible that people that people can do it Absolutely. and you know food is joyful and we should all travel through food much more than we do <laughs> because that is now and now is 2020 and we're not going anywhere for a while are we so if we can pick up some spices and tamarind or you know, Masaharina flower and talk about where they come from in the world, then that's good, isn't it?
0: Oh, that's amazing. I have a really um, beautiful friend who lives in Turkey. I haven't seen her for ages and then she sent me this really beautiful letter just kind of updating me on where she is. And she said that she's um, symbolically crossing borders through cooking and she's taking up Korean cooking and
1: oh, yeah.
0: um, you know Chinese cooking and stuff that she's never tried before so she is yeah. completely immersed in this kind of symbolic journey around the world while being in a lockdown and I thought like this is just the most beautiful thing
1: isn't it just and that's food has always yeah, been yeah. transportive it's always crossed borders and it's always been you know if not for t- tomatoes in South America, Italy wouldn't have tomatoes. So there's always been this transaction between cultures and locations and food is often the conduit, isn't it, of, of it? Because people have eaten and crossed borders and moved through lands and you know, we've roamed for millennia, haven't we? So that topography and um moving of recipes and cultures and cuisines is it's kind of breathtaking really, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. Oh, and I wish we could speak more and more about that (laughs) but um i was so amazing to talk to you you absolutely loved it thank
1: you hopefully we'll meet one day oh i'd love that yeah we'll do it hopefully thank you for
0: listening and for being part of the mother food community if you are enjoying this podcast please share subscribe rate and review it really does make a huge difference I'd love for you to join the conversation over on Instagram, where you can find me under Timoshkina, and do visit my website alisatimoshkinen.com to find out more about the Mother Food cooking course and enjoy the recipes featured on this podcast. Thank you so much for being here, and I can't wait to share the next episode with you.